0: A huge gift to me personally this last week is I got so many emails from people and there was many folks this morning that approached me and they said, I am so excited about opening up the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm so excited about this. And honestly, whenever you give a compliment and you say, that was a wonderful sermon, it's always encouraging. But here at River West, there's no higher, like, encouragement than you getting excited to open your Bible. And I mean that. And so raise your hand if you want a Bible. The ushers are going to be coming around. You are going to want to have the book of Ecclesiastes open as we continue our series that we kicked off last week. Once you begin to truly not only read on a a surface level the book of Ecclesiastes, but let these words sink in, you can't help but be impacted by how deep and profound this book truly, truly is. In fact, if you think about it, think about this with me. I'm not sure there's actually any book in the Bible that has inspired great songs more than the book of Ecclesiastes. They're all hits. I tell you, every song that comes out of this book is a hit. There's the famous song by the birds, turn, 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 to everything, there's a season, right, turn. It's basically plagiarizing chapter three of (laughs) Ecclesiastes, It, it it just is. And there's also many other great songs that come out of this book. Any Pink Floyd fans like here? Dark Side of the Moon-like album inspired by the words of the preacher of Ecclesiastes, Bob Dylan. I know there's some Bob Dylan fans. Come on, put your hands up. Bob Dylan fans, don't be ashamed to like be a Bob Dylan fan in church. He's all about Jesus. And so many of his songs came straight out of this book from the Library of Wisdom Literature. But in my personal and humble opinion that I present before you today, the greatest song of all time that came out of this book was by a rock band from Ireland called Anybody? Too. You Two. The song I still haven't found. What I'm looking for from the Joshua Tree album, which again, in my humble opinion, is one of the greatest albums under the sun of all time, listen to the words of the preacher Bono. Okay? I have climbed highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled these city walls only to be with you. And then the refrain kicks in and paired with the Edge's guitar riff, I tell you the truth, the heavens open up and the glory of God (laughs) shines. But before you write you 2 off as a leather pant wearing stadium rock band, (laughs) listen to what Bono said about the book from the Bible that inspired that song. Listen again to the words of the preacher, Bono. Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books, as it is mine. It is a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive and why he's created. He tries knowledge, he tries wealth, he tries experience, he tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why, and it says... Remember your creator. In a way, it's such a letdown, yet it isn't. Is it just me or is it true that all the best songs that have been written are not songs primarily about chasing after the wind of sex and pleasure and money and fame? But it's written by people that have chased after these things and been let down and come up empty, and yet something crawls up their ribcage, a longing for something more, for deeper meaning or purpose, for a joy that always feels elusive. You can't quite grasp it. Something that's missing. And folks, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes shows us. It shows us the thing that we are still looking for. That's why we're calling this series The Antidote to Emptiness, because we would have been sued if we would have just quoted you two. If you were here last Sunday, we learned that the book of Ecclesiastes, the reason that this book is in our Bibles is it calls us away from empty things that we spend the lion's share of our lives chasing after, and it calls us to something of substance, a relationship with a God who has never stopped pursuing us, who's put that ache for significance and meaning in each of our hearts. And nobody in history knew this better than King Solomon. The king who chased after everything this world under the sun has to offer wealth, success, fame, power, pleasure, and wisdom. And came up utterly empty and dissatisfied. So much so that this wise, rich, and respected king almost died a lonely fool. How did the wisest person that has ever walked this earth come so close to dying the greatest fool in the Bible? Well, to answer that question, we need to open up Ecclesiastes again. So Ecclesiastes chapter one, as we continue our series, that we're calling the antidote to emptiness. You'll go straight to the middle of your Bible, find the book of Proverbs, and right to the right is the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll jump back in this morning in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. So I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving After wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is God's word. As you read through Ecclesiastes, one of the unique aspects and features of this book is the wisdom that we're presented with is not wisdom from just the classroom or a lecture, rather it's drawn from Solomon's life experience. Uh, It's wisdom that has some miles on the road to influence it, it's experiential wisdom. And so beginning right where we started reading this morning in chapter one, verse 12 in Ecclesiastes, and then threading through the rest of the book, Solomon's going to share different ways he tried to find satisfaction and meaning and purpose apart from God. And so he starts with wisdom and then he goes on to pleasure and self indulgence. Then he tries out madness and folly, work, honor, fame, social justice, philanthropy. But in the end, all of Solomon's quests to find what he's looking for lead him to a pretty somber conclusion that startles many people that sit down to read this book. And his conclusion, as we saw last week, is life under the sun, which is code for life apart from God. Life lived by our own wisdom, for our own profit and pleasure. Life as the world sees it, not as God sees it. All of life under the sun, is hevel. Hevel. It is utterly empty and meaningless. Aren't you glad you came back to church? That's the premise of Ecclesiastes, and you're going to see that drum is just going to beat. It's going to be st- a steady march through this book as you hear that headline. If you were here last week, just as a brief recap, the word hevel in Hebrew, which is translated vanity in our Bibles, it shows up 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it literally is translated into a word picture in Hebrew that means a wisp of vapor or a puff of smoke, something that's fleeting but also futile to chase after or absurd, like chasing after the wind as that word picture shows up in our passage. And if Solomon is right, and pay attention to this, acquiring wisdom and knowledge is hevel. It's actually elusive. It's chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. And in fact, the more that you chase after wisdom— And understanding the more miserable you are so why in the world are we here studying the book of Ecclesiastes well either you all and myself included are gluttons for punishment or as we learned last week this book through poetry through evocative Proverbs through questions that rattle us and the honest mirror that Solomon shows us, he's going to point to something infinitely greater and more solid and enduring than all that life under the sun can offer us. But wisdom isn't the answer, which sounds really strange because if wisdom isn't the answer then what in the world is the answer? So if you're taking notes, this morning Solomon is going to answer this question. If wisdom isn't the answer, then what is by showing us three things. Uh, The source of true wisdom, the emptiness of worldly wisdom, those two things are going to be contrasted, and then ultimately the goal of wisdom Or think about it this way, where wisdom comes from, why wisdom isn't enough, and where wisdom leads us. So first things first, we need to start by recognizing the source of King Solomon's wisdom. As you're reading through Ecclesiastes, it's often helpful to remind ourselves, reacquaint ourselves with Solomon's story in the Old Testament. As many of you are likely familiar, Solomon was named king by his father, King David. And one day God came to Solomon in a dream and said, ask whatever you want and I will grant that for you. Now, play along here. I want you to imagine for a moment what you'd ask for if God came to you like the genie from the Aladdin movie and said, ask whatever you want and I will grant that wish for you. What would you ask for? Come on, be honest. I don't think that I would ask for the fruit of the Spirit or deeper sanctification. I would ask for money, likely. And so would you. Don't pretend to be more spiritual than you really, really are. And from the perspective of life under the sun, of course you and I would ask for money because as Solomon will go on to argue later on in the book of Ecclesiastes, listen to this zinger from chapter 10. Money answers everything. That's in your Bible right there huh, what's going on? Wait a minute. What's, what's happening here? Because God comes to Solomon in this dream and look at what Solomon actually asked for. It's way back in the book of 1 Kings. We're gonna put this verse up on the screen, but look at what Solomon asked for when God approaches him. In 1 Kings... Chapter three, we read, starting in verse nine, give your servant, this is Solomon, therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this, your great people. And look at how God responds to Solomon's request for wisdom. Not wealth, not honor, not fame, not a jet ski. In verse 10, look at how God responds. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. And God said to him, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life for your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Listen to this condition. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Later on, in, in the next chapter in First King, we're told that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all of the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men. So in Ecclesiastes, when Solomon says, I've acquired great wisdom that has surpassed everyone who's come before me, I am the most wise man alive. He's not being arrogant. This is not even a humble boast. He's just stating a fact that God gave him this discerning mind and made him wise beyond all his predecessors and all of the rulers and all of us who would come after him. According to Scripture, Solomon's wisdom and understanding was so great, he would have made Albert Einstein and Stephen Hawking look like imbeciles. He was really, really smart. People from all over the world would travel to marvel at the wisdom that Solomon possessed. But here is what has always unsettled me and disturbed me about the Solomon story. At some point, this humble, bright, gifted, wise leader asked God, for wisdom to discern between good and evil, to govern his people faithfully, slowly and gradually he began to chase after other things. His heart began to slowly and incrementally turn away from the Lord. He began to do things that God had actually not counseled him to do, warned him not to do, like engaging in arms deals with Egypt and building an elaborate palace for himself, which took 14 years, twice as long as it took to build the Lord's temple, which gives you a window into where his priorities really, really were, and finally marrying 700 wives, which is not only a really, really unwise bad idea, It just is. This is not the biblical model for how to approach marriage whatsoever. But it was a willful rebellion, actually, against God's command, which ultimately led to his undoing and his downfall as a leader. So much so that the wisest man alive would go on to be remembered as the greatest fool in all of the Old Testament. In fact, look at the sad epitaph of Solomon's life in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. We'll put it up on the screen. Listen to this. For when Solomon was old, this is old King Solomon, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So where does Solomon go wrong? Was it the moment he started marrying women who worshipped other gods? Or was his downfall more gradual? I don't think Solomon simply woke up one day and decided to worship and offer sacrifices to other idols. Sin simply doesn't work like that. And we're given signs in 1 Kings that his departure and turning away from the Lord was actually far more subtle and gradual. It came in a series of seemingly harmless little compromises. Where Solomon began to prefer his wisdom and way of doing things over God's. His little pleasures and comforts over God's kingdom. His name and reputation over God's fame and glory until one day he woke up in spite of all of his money and success and wisdom and everything that he had spent his life striving after, he looked around and he had nothing to show but fistfuls of wind. Look at what Solomon says in chapter one, verses 13 and 14. This is his conclusion. Towards the end of his life, Solomon laments and he says I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that's done under the sun and behold all is hevel, it's vanity. To mist and striving after the wind. This sobering couple of verses here reminds me of something that Leonard Wolf, the husband of Virginia Wolf, was a brilliant British political theorist and publisher who wrote over twenty books. Towards the end of his life and shortly after his retirement, look at what Leonard Rol- Wolf, looking back on his life, what he had to say. He said, "I see clearly that I have achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of the human anthill during the past 57 years would be exactly the same." as if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books and memoranda. I have therefore to make the rather ignominious confession that I must have in a long life ground through between 150,000 and 200,000 hours of perfectly useless work. You ever felt that way? You're just grinding through life, and you say with Solomon, what an unhappy business life can feel. Like, what is the point? And that's essentially the the picture that Solomon gives us, that life under the sun can actually feel like a really bad business deal, where you work tirelessly, and you exhaust yourself, and you go through meeting after monotonous meeting, And in the end, all that it feels like is that your hands are just trying to grasp the wind. You have nothing to show for it. So why don't we all just go and play ping pong and pass our time? What is the point? But what Solomon is doing here, and it's brilliant, is he's not just lamenting his own inner angst and frustrations or trying to depress us, Instead, he's exposing the empty pursuit of worldly wisdom. He's trying to show us that if you chase after worldly wisdom, you're going to come up empty. And this is so important to understand in the book of Ecclesiastes. You need to see that throughout this book, Solomon is going to contrast two different kinds of wisdom. Worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. We have a little chart here. And so this is the contrast that is going to actually be woven through the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Wisdom under heaven or wisdom under the sun, that phrase shows up again 29 times in Ecclesiastes. It's code for human reasoning. Life from our perspective. And that wisdom, the source of it, it starts and it ends with us. And Solomon will conclude it is hevel, it's utterly empty, and it's useless, and it does, in the end, only make you miserable and unhappy. That's contrasted in Ecclesiastes with godly wisdom, Which isn't wisdom from below or wisdom under the sun, but wisdom from above. Wisdom that God provides. Godly wisdom is divinely revealed. Like we don't come up with this wisdom and manufacture it on our own. It is a gift from God and it shows us how to live life from God's perspective. And here's what is incredible, both in Ecclesiastes, you'll see it, and in other places in the Bible, Godly wisdom starts and ends with fearing God. with treating God as the ultimate reference point, the beginning and end of all wisdom. It's why in scripture we're told that the beginning of all wisdom is fearing God. That is the beginning of all wisdom. And it's also the end of all wisdom. And the word that is used more often than not in scripture for this kind of wisdom is the Hebrew word chokmah. Can you say that hokma? Hokma and it means it means useful. It's it's wisdom that shows you how to navigate the complexities of life. It's compared in the book of Ecclesiastes to that imagery of nails firmly fixed. You can build a wise and beautiful life and live skillfully and faithfully with God with hokma, with these nails that are firmly fixed in your life. But here's what Solomon is gonna show us, is when we turn away from godly wisdom and we turn to our own wisdom or worldly wisdom, that worldly wisdom is really useless. It doesn't help us. It doesn't help us like fix our own problems or the problems in society. That's why Ecclesiastes chapter one and verse 15, we, we see this proverb that Solomon shares with us. And that's the point of this proverb. You'll see it immediately. Look at verse 15 in your Bible. This proverb right here, it's, he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. Like wisdom can't straighten out things that are crooked. And it can't actually make sense out of life or, or suffice for what is lacking. You, you see that in your Bible, how it's indented. It's, it's a little proverb of Solomon's day that he drops in there to show us essentially the uselessness of wisdom under the sun or human wisdom. It's the kind of thing that people would say when certain realities are not easily untangled or fixed. Have you ever been fishing before, and especially with kids, and they just, they tangle up the line? It's like they come out of the womb, and I've had quite a bit of experience with this, and they're apt to just tangle absolutely everything. And there's some tangles, I have to tell you, that you cannot untangle, that it's heavily, It's actually useless. I have a picture, like, right, right here. Look at that tangle. Right there, you might not even be, be able to notice it's all tangled up. The bait is, it looks like a strange work of art or something right there. That type of thing, it happens in my experience all the time. And when you get a tangle like that, let me tell you, you can do one of two things. You can throw yourself in the river, <laughs> screaming, this is utterly like maddening and useless and I hate my life, or you can cut the line and you can start over. That's what you can do when you go, this is (laughs) hell. This is hell right here. You can cut the line and start over. Folks, hear this. In spite of all our attempts to fix what's broken in our world through political policies, through awareness campaigns and social programs, some things in life are not fixable apart from God. Amen? They're so knotted up. No amount of human wisdom and ingenuity in what we bring to the table can untangle the mess. Case in point, who on the face of the earth can untangle the Israeli-Palestinian problem? Or how about the war and violence right now that is, is surging in places like Myanmar? Or the global refugee crisis? Or Portland's homeless crisis. In our own city, where our own city saw a 23% rise and increase in homelessness over the last two years with $255 million of taxpayer money on the table, we saw a 23% rise in homelessness. The national average was 1%. California, we're always throwing stones at at them, but they saw a 6% average in homelessness, 23% rise in homelessness in Portland. What's that? Hebel. That's what that is. But closer to home. Let me drop this in your world. What about issues in your marriage? What about issues you can't untangle at work or your finances or your friendships or your own mental health struggles or your parents that are aging or your kids that have supercomputers in their pockets and haven't looked at you in like three months How do you untangle those things? Folks, if you hear anything this morning, please hear me. No amount of worldly wisdom will untangle your life. Wisdom is not the answer, it doesn't untangle the mess. Jesus wants to cut the line and tie on something new. It can't be untangled through wisdom. What we need is what the Bible calls a wisdom from above. This is what our savior Jesus wants to provide. Cut the line, start over, tie this on. Try tying this on to your life. James 3:14. Wisdom from above. Again, godly wisdom. Listen to this description right here. Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. That's what our city needs. That's what your marriage needs. That's what that issue at work, that that will untangle some things. Sincerity, humility, gentleness, person where you become full of mercy, that will entangle some things. Think of all the time that you and I waste. How many nights trying to solve my own problems? Instead of just simply crying out for help, as the book of James, which is in the library of wisdom literature, James in chapter 1, the same wisdom literature letter he wrote in verse 5, he says, if any of you any of you, lacks wisdom, let him or her ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Folks, some of you here this morning, the Lord led you here because it's time to just cut the line. Stop trying to untangle the mess. Turn your life over to Jesus Christ. All you have to do is ask for help and God will not rub your nose in it. He will not make you feel foolish. James says he gives wisdom without reproach. All we have to do is say, Lord, I can't untangle this without your help. And he'll generously and gently help you. Amen? Amen. Somebody needs to hear that. You're, you came in here just tangled up. And God wants to pour out wisdom in your life but stop trying to untangle that thing on your own. All right, as if all of this wasn't enough for you and I just to abandon worldly wisdom, just stop seeking after it. All together this wisdom under the sun empty, useless, meaningless. Salma gives us one more reason in Ecclesiastes that we should turn away from our own wisdom, worldly wisdom, and ask God to make us wise. And it's this, worldly wisdom actually makes us even more unhappy and miserable. It makes us miserable. Look at how Solomon concludes his argument in chapter one by quoting yet another little proverb of his day in verse 18 of chapter one. Solomon says, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, what's interesting, we have our own version of this proverb in our day. We say ignorance is bliss. That's what we say. Sometimes it's better not knowing. Case in point, your iPhone weather predictions. (laughs) The collective misery in the Pacific Northwest, it's your iPhone. It said the sun is coming. It's coming, it's coming. No, it's not, it's hailing. No, it's not. No, hope deferred makes the heart sick, people, okay? It's full of false prophecies. (laughs) That's what has happened in this season. And you're even more miserable. You're like, I wish I wouldn't have even known that. And so ignorance is not always bliss, though. Think about this. This is a riddle. This is a mystery. It It really doesn't help that much. And here's the problem. It's a biblical problem, supposing that ignorance is bliss, or just like, let's just be stupid. Like if wisdom's making us miserable, let's just live stupid. Solomon will try that experiment. Some other preacher will be up here talking about that very, very, very shortly next week, okay? Ignorance is not bliss. Living like a fool is not gonna make you one lick happier. And, and this ignorance is bliss, or, or maybe wisdom is the problem. Like if you just like, like cut off like all wisdom from your life especially godly wisdom altogether then that goes against the grain of what the book of Proverbs actually says about wisdom so the bible would be contradicting itself because look at what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 2 of wisdom this is hokmah godly wisdom not wisdom under the sun hokmah wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. That sounds good. Or how about this? Solomon's most famous proverb of all in chapter 3, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, the medicine that comes out the book of Ecclesiastes. Fear God. Turn away from evil. And listen to this. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. River West, worldly wisdom is useless and it has no medicine. It will just make you miserable, more knotted up, lead to more sorrow and inner vexation. But God's wisdom, what a gift. It teaches us to turn away from empty things, from our own evil paths that we have, have set ourselves on and to turn to the Lord, to hand our lives over, tangles and all, and say, God, take me that this unwise sinner, and Father, please, untangle my life, make it new. Folks, that's where all true wisdom leads us, is to cry out to God and to turn our lives over to him. That's the goal of Ecclesiastes. That's where this book is calling us, page after page, is to just allow Jesus to cut the line and to tie on new life. That's why we're studying this book. I want you to reflect on something as we're going to wrap up our time this morning. All week, I was just hounded by something so profound that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about wisdom. And what he does is the same thing that Solomon does. He's contrasting worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. I believe and I can imagine that the Apostle Paul, his Bible was the Hebrew Bible. He knew very well the book of Ecclesiastes. And as he wrote down, to pen these words that are full of life and truth, he had all of the invitation of Ecclesiastes fresh on his heart, as he thought of Jesus and wrote these words. For the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ and him crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Folks, this is the gospel. This is the only wise word that has power to save. And as Paul says, God in wisdom has not allowed the world to know him through wisdom alone. All wisdom pointed to our need for a savior. And that's why even though our world may conclude that we are foolish to put the hope of our life on a Jewish Messiah that was hung on a cross. We look to Jesus and we say, that's where our wisdom hangs. Jesus is the ultimate reference point for our lives. He is the only one that can make our path straight. He's the only one that can bring words that bring healing and refreshment to our post-pandemic weary world. Amen? And he's here. He's here this morning. He's present. He brought you here so that you could cut off all of the empty things that you're, you're trying to pursue and begin anew with a new life and new wisdom. If you bow your head and your heart, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit into this moment here. Father, I want to thank you so much, Lord, for the wisdom of your word, and Lord, for Ecclesiastes and for how, Lord, it is calling us, Lord, as your people, Lord, to turn away from our empty pursuits and and to cry out for Jesus. Lord, I I just can't shake the feeling that, Lord, there's people here that are all nodded Facing things, Lord, that they've tried to untangle, they're just stuck. They feel hopeless. But they made it here today. Lord, for those hearts, may they hear your word of grace that God has pursued us in Jesus. That Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Father, may your Holy Spirit in this time, in this moment right here, draw those, Lord, that have not yielded and turned over their life to your Son to faith in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. River West family, we're we're gonna come to the table this morning. If you've placed your life in the hands of Jesus, you've trusted his sacrifice for your life. You can come during this next song, you can receive the bread and the cup, you can take that on your own. I encourage you, take a moment, pause and pray. Don't rush past this moment. But I felt prompted as I was preparing this week that there may be some here where you have not made a decision make Jesus your Lord and your Savior. And you're you're all tangled up. I'm going to be over to the side with with prayer team. These next few songs, if you need to pray about anything at all, or if if you feel drawn this morning, hearing these words, you realize there's an emptiness in your life that nothing has been able to solve. I'd love to, to pray with you. I'm going to be Over there, I'm going to have members of the prayer team, other pastors that are here this morning. We're just going to be off to the side. We'd love to pray with you. Don't leave here empty and all tangled up. God has something better in store for you. Amen? Amen. Let's worship the Lord this morning.